0: When it all comes true
1: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, April 30th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Uh, Michael, we only have uh, nine days or so left (laughs) before you chat with Raul Esparza uh, for
2: the Drama Desk Awards. Yes. And I'm really excited about it. I, I think it there seems to be a huge amount of anticipation for this on-course production of Oliver. Uh and so uh our event will be um right after that on Tuesday, May 9th at four PM at uh Ripley Greer. And um that will be uh the the day of the uh of the night of the, the, the beginning of the second week of performances of Oliver in which Raul's playing Fagin. Uh, so we can talk about that, but then also his amazing career so far. Uh, so again, if you um, just email Michael at dot com, and uh, we'll, we'll probably get you in uh, it's $5 per person for non drama desk members.
1: Uh, we have the information in the show notes in case uh, you want to, uh, get that information. You go over the show notes and do that. Uh, so much uh, on social media this week. Uh, pressing uh, the uh, the boy in the titular role there
2: is uh, supposed to be very, very good. He said, uh, yes, he sings. Uh, they, they have a clip of him singing Where Is Love so beautifully. So, uh, I have yeah. to
3: say, um, I was at the Music Man recording session. He played Winthrop in the that right. music man, and I'm telling you what a little pro he is. He is so, so devoted, um, pays such attention, meticulous in everything he does, so I'm not surprised that he got the part, and I bet he'll be great in it.
2: And probably just under the wire before his voice changes. (laughs) 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 He probably has Hugh Jackman's uh,
1: number and texts with him. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're very busy this week. Let's start right into the reviews. Michael and Peter both got over to I, I want to call it a candor and ebb or a candor and ebb well, yeah, and yeah, sure, Lin-Manuel sure, Miranda sure, sure. adaptation of the movie of New York, New York. So, Peter, get us started on this uh, very confusing <laughs>
3: compilation. Well, yeah, there are three characters in, um, in theater that uh, I think are the worst characters, and that's Lady Macbeth, um, Iago, and Jimmy in the movie of New York, New York, uh, he is so obnoxious. He is so manipulative. He is terrible to Liza Minnelli in the movie. Robert De Niro played the part and just had to get what he wanted and didn't care about what anybody else wanted. Was jealous of person, a terrible, terrible person. They've, certainly changed that for the musical and i am very grateful that they did um so uh colton ryan gets the part now and he's not at all obnoxious i'm happy to say because lord knows robert de niro was though of course we have to thank robert de niro who said to the C- candor i don't like your new york new york song write another one <laughs> and he did and uh, they did and look what happened i mean so uh so that was really quite terrific but but um David Thompson has really helped out here by not um, making him such a bastard, so to speak. Anyway, um, wonderful intentions here. Wonderful intentions by um, stressing essentially the line, um, I I, want to be with the action is that type. Of feeling, you know, I want to be a part, a of, part it. of it, New yeah. York, yeah, New York, New York. And so, as a result, you have all these people coming to New York hoping for the best, and so you have a lot of immigrants coming here, um, and that is so nice that they're really trying to concentrate on so many people coming to New York and doing what they can and making the most of themselves. So that's wonderful. But in a way, it's like rags. There were just too many stories. And by the time you got interested in one story, you'd suddenly be switched to another. And so in trying to be fair to everybody, uh, everybody just got short shrift. So that's a, a big problem. I also think there's a problem in the way they use a quiet thing. A quiet thing was originally in the 1965 New Flora the Red Menace, where Liza Minnelli sang it after she got her first job. It was a first act song. Here it's in the second act, and Colton Ryan gets it after he gets a job. It's not his first job, and in fact, it's not even a very good job. Granted, the one the Flora got wasn't a great job either either but it was her first job and so she was enthusiastic about it and yet she realized that um, it was a quiet thing it it wasn't like bells went off and all that kind of stuff she was just very happy that she got the job but in a way the quiet thing was a result of her feeling she deserved it okay but here it just comes too late it's not the fact that he sings it um, that's the problem that they've given it to him it just comes too late he's too experienced at this point to have that type of feeling so it's too bad they didn't give it to him when he got his first job so that's the problem. problem as well. Susan Stroman's choreography is very good. There's a number involving construction workers that brings to mind that famous photo of the guys uh, on the beam, which usually is attributed to the Empire State Building. No, it's not. But anyway, um, it's a very good number, but it doesn't have much to do with anything, I'm sorry to say. Um, So, but however, 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 um I wish Linda had stayed to see um the final number which is of course New York New York because it is so thrilling and it really brought tears into my eyes partly because um I'm so glad to be here even though I've lived most of my life here I still walk around saying I am so glad to be here I can't believe I'm here and I'm telling young people if you're thinking of moving here I think this number will inspire you to make the move so come and visit see the musical see this number and pack up your bags and come here um, you'll have a great time once you're here. I don't know if you'll have that great a time in New-, in, New York, in New York, the musical, but I do think you'll have a good time in New York, New York, the city.
1: <laughs> All right. Michael, what do you think?
2: Well, I don't completely agree with some of that. I, I think that um, the, the Colton Ryan character is still um, fairly obnoxious uh, at various moments. Uh, also, they-, they stress the fact that he's a drunk in this case, and it turns out that... Um, one of the reasons for that is that uh his brother was killed in in world war 2 whereas um uh jimmy is that his name jimmy yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh jimmy himself was not and so i guess it's you know survivor guilt and grief over that um and also i uh yeah, I don't know. I, to me, Peter, it, it just came out of completely left field. I never dreamed that a quiet thing would be given to his character. I mm-hmm. had heard it was in the show. I, yeah. I automatically assumed it was uh, for Francine. Uh, I, I just don't think he would suddenly... Mm. turn on a dime and suddenly be so introspective when he's been mm. so brash. Mm. And so, mm. you know, I, I, and yes, it's an interior monologue. So you could say, well, that's how he really feels and blah, blah, blah. But I just, I just didn't buy it. Um, I, I think uh, it's funny when shows, uh, everyone has an opinion, of course. And, and now that we have the internet, we can, we can read everyone's opinion on shows and and people disagree so often but sometimes everyone says the same thing uh about a show when they have problems with it and in this case everyone seems to agree that there were just too many characters and too many subplots um I, i do think that main plot is is given full shrift but that's the only one uh the other ones are just glancingly uh just sort of run through and i and honestly there were so many i i was going to list them but i don't think i can even do that because it would take too much time uh but uh they i, I do uh, uh you know uh my hat is off to them for trying to be very inclusive in terms of the melting pot um mm-hmm. uh there is uh uh you know so there's obviously an irish guy and a, and and some black characters and then there's a, a subplot involving a, a cuban characters and um there's an there is an italian an italian guy played by clyde elves he's uh jimmy's best friend uh and there, there's even um uh an attempt to include a, a gay subplot sort of, (laughs) although they didn't really completely go there, but that's another story. Uh, I I thought it was interesting that the um, one kind of real villain in, in the piece um, is the British theatrical producer who is producing musicals at the Morosco theater in 1946, um, which sounds a little unlikely to me. Um, And that whole plot, uh, he sort of, um, Zeroes in on Francine and hears her sing uh, briefly and decides that she has to be in his musical, even though he's only going to put her in the ensemble and she's going to only have one spoken line. But it's that important for him to put her to put her in the show. Um, That that whole thing made no sense to me. And uh, he turns out to be um, a racist Uh, and it seemed to me that that was kind of easy to make the 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 one brit guy the racist uh uh and and that that doesn't seem very realistic either um i thought the book overall i have to say i'm sorry i I thought it was quite atrocious including the attempted jokes um only one of which landed i'm serious one joke uh Landed the night that I went, which was last night uh and I don't think that's a very good track record David Thompson, speaking of track records doesn't really have a very good one um uh he he his first um encounter with candor and Ebb I think it was his first was um and the world goes round which i I did think was a fantastic uh, review off Broadway. And, uh, of course for that, he only did continuity basically. Uh, but that was a very good job. And, and also, um, uh, I do think that he did a, a wonderful job with, uh, the Scottsboro boys, uh, and that, which was also directed by Susan Stroman. Um, uh, and although that was a huge flop, I, I really thought it was great. But, uh, but other than that, if you just look down his list, uh, in the, in the playbook, it's really, really not, um, that, good and uh, so i'm not sure Uh, i guess they i guess john candor really loves him and and just wants to keep working with him but i i I don't know why i don't quite get it and i have to say um you know what his first credit is in his bio it says the new libretto for the current revival of chicago Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that is that fair to take credit for that libretto which is basically the original with just maybe a few tiny cuts i i, I i'm i a little surprised that he would take credit for that and especially to phrase it that way um so i think that's a huge problem here also the fact that susan stroman's greatest successes have been um as a choreographer and not as a director so between her not being that great as a director and him not being very good at all as a librettist. uh, I think that there was a huge problem here. And I can only dream of how great this show might've been uh, if it had had a really strong director and a really strong librettist. Um, As far as the score, uh, I I liked a lot of the new songs uh, uh, which are not, necessarily new and on that note um i forgot to send it to uh you james but i will uh, margaret hall uh has done a really excellent article for playbill that goes through the entire score and uh gives the source of each of the of the uh songs uh and i think she gets almost all of them there were two i i i didn't i don't think she included um There was one song in this score that sounds to me like a sort of repurposed version of Sing Happy uh, with new lyrics, of course. Um, uh, And then uh, there's just a brief uh, melody that this, uh, this young violinist, this young Polish emigre violinist plays. And that melody is, of all things, sometimes a day goes by from Woman of the Year. Um, so, uh, I thought that was, uh, to me, it was a little distracting because I, you know, I, I know that song. Um, but the opening number is apparently was written by Candor and, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda for Hamel Drops, uh, mm-hmm. which was, a, yeah, uh, yeah, um, uh, and so, but I, I thought it, I thought it worked really, really well here and it gave me hopes for the show, but then I just thought it was one big mess, uh, scene after another and, um, I I do lament that I think it could have been so, so, so much better with some different personnel.
1: All right. So that is New York, New York at the St. James. Uh, We'll have a link to that in the show notes so that you can – Check it out for
2: yourself. We should mention, I, I'm not sure if Peter the leading lady's uh, name, Anna Uzel. Was, oh,
3: she was terrific. I should have yeah, mentioned her. I yeah. feel very bad. She was terrific.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we have to mention her. She was yeah. absolutely fantastic. Mm. Oh,
3: and I do um,
2: appreciate the fact that uh, they made a, a, a much better attempt here than uh, in Some Like It Hot to be period accurate in terms of um, – Racial relations and what was possible, and it wasn't what was not possible uh, in the World War II uh, era and and immediately following. Uh, they didn't get it completely right, as far as I could see, but uh, almost. And I really appreciated that.
1: All right. So, next up, uh, the two of you got over to the John Golden Theater to uh, see the production of prima facie (laughs) and uh, our legal folks out there might be thinking that's uh, prima facie but uh, (laughs) we've been asked to pronounce it prima facie so uh, Peter tell us about this new play
3: well in a strange way it reminded me of Wit and I'll (laughs) tell you why Wit is about a teacher who is very very severe she is no nonsense she is merciless and she gets cancer, which is very severe and merciless. And she learns what indeed, uh, severity and mercilessness can be. Similarly speaking, here's a woman who has, uh, who's a lawyer who has been involved with many cases involving rape. And now she is going to be somebody who has been raped and is going to take it to court. And what's going to happen when she does go to court? Well, uh, it's quite a tour de force, but. um, (laughs) a leading lady who I think we're going to hear about more and more. Uh, Certainly, she won the Olivier Award, which was really uh, quite a thing. Uh, You have to be really good to do that. So I think we're going to hear from Jodie Comer a lot. Uh, Comer, I don't know. Um, Do you know the pronunciation? Because I don't, but I do think we're going to hear it a lot during awards season, so we will get it right. Uh, We'll also (laughs) see how they pronounce the title of the play. (laughs) But um, I have to say that as Powerful as all this is, I worry about the message that it might send because we often hear that women who get raped um, are quiet about it they're afraid what's going to happen they're afraid that if they go to court they're going to be uh, essentially uh, put on the spot that they're going to be um, guilty until proved innocent that they're going to be accused of asking for it and all those other terrible things we've heard and of course we have a very famous rape trial going on right now in New York City and I just wonder if this play ultimately sends the message that don't bother. You're only going to drag yourself through court, and you're not going to get what you want, and it's just terrible, because it really is a very sad story, ultimately. Uh, an amazing set that you think you're going to just see um, for the whole night it doesn't quite turn out that way, but there are literally 1,540 books on that set, so um, it's it's pretty impressive in that way. Not as impressive as Jodie Comer, but nevertheless, um, the tour de force of the season and maybe the decade
2: all right michael what'd you think well first of all i have to say i'm absolutely in awe of her performance i mean to do any kind of a one-person show uh is beyond my imagination uh but this one is so emotionally wrenching uh that I, I I mean I was thinking watching it if if I was forty years younger, <laughs> and I worked as hard as I possibly could, uh, I don't think I could get through it once, let alone eight times a week. And it, twice on matinee days. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and even to compare it with other. Um, uh one person shows i mean there there have been others i guess that maybe there have been others that have been maybe close in terms of intensity and and how grueling they were but but you know you think of true uh which was mm-hmm. a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, pr- thing and you think of barrymore and mm-hmm. they're they're so light compared to these um and also both of those uh did have um off stage voices at least mm-hmm. uh to give the, the 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 person a break here she talks literally almost literally nonstop uh for was it an hour and a half sure at uh, least. It, unbelievable and the 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 story is so gripping she is a a, a barrister who uh has become famous as a def- defending uh uh many uh men against rape charges and then suddenly uh the tables are turned she herself finds herself a victim and she's and so so she foresees everything that's going to happen when she gets up there on the stand and is um is being questioned by this guy's defense attorney uh, and actually I thought that was um that was a bit of a flaw in the play because uh her character outlines for us so so fully what happened during the uh, the encounter in question. Uh, Tessa, by the way, is the name of the character. Uh, she she tells us everything very very honestly and why she can imagine that she's going to be crucified when she gets on the stand. Uh, and then basically we we see w- what we see happen. Is exactly what she told us. So it was a little actually anticlimactic in that in those terms, Um, but the performance was just mind-boggling. And uh, directed by Justin Martin, we should also say, I I I I'm just um, flabbergasted by by the achievement of Jodie Comer or Comer in this amazing amazing. (laughs) Peace.
1: <laughs> because it comes from London, we should say we're gobsmacked. We're gobsmacked. <laughs> <laughs> gobsmacked. Wouldn't that be a great name for a play? Gobsmacked. Mm-hmm. Probably has been used. Probably. <laughs> All right. So that is uh Prima facie Prime facie Uh that is playing through July second right now at the John Golden Theater. Uh word has gotten out on the street how amazing this performance is uh so this is a hot ticket right now very hot ticket
2: and she apparently is also known from um a television property that i Uh don't i'm not familiar with so there's that Mm -hmm. has that going for it too (laughs) (laughs) uh
1: yes killing eve is her uh her television thing Uh, but the three of us really don't watch much tv yeah, so, <laughs> so we couldn't tell you. And you know uh, why after listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you have no time. Because the next mm-hmm. night, the mm-hmm. two of you went to go see Goodnight Oscar mm-hmm. at the Belasco. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Peter, why don't you get us started on Goodnight Oscar?
3: Well, this is about uh, the famous appearances of uh, Jack Parr and Oscar Levant back in 1958. Uh, I'm old enough to remember Oscar Levant on the uh, Jack Parr show, and I have to say that um, it was shocking back then to see this man who clearly had had a nervous breakdown, and uh, every time he was smoking, and he did smoke quite a bit, his hand would shake as he brought the cigarette up to his lips. So this is a real um, manic, very depressive uh, guy, and Sean Hayes captures that wonderfully. I will say that um, because of the writing by Doug Wright, it may occasionally seem like a one-note performance because Doug Wright puts him in a situation that seems to be similar in every scene. Still, he's mesmerizing. However, as great as you might assume he is in the role. The second act is really astonishing, especially if you don't know this guy can play the piano, and this guy can play the piano, and he has to do a cutting of Rhapsody in Blue, and he does it, and he does it, and he does you know, this should almost be in the unique theatrical experience category, because mm-hmm. there's never been anything quite like this, where a guy has to um, be uh, a, mostly an actor in one act and mostly a musician in the second. I mean, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Um Ben Rapoport, Jack Parr, I'll tell you, the center of his face is very right for Jack Parr. Not that he has to look exactly like Jack Parr. uh, You know, I was looking through records one time in Montclair, New Jersey, and I came across a record called The Best of What's-His-Name. You can look it up, Jack Parr. (laughs) The point is, he was so famous that because he was on The Tonight Show, he was the host, um, and there was this picture on the cover looking very smug and it said the best of what's his name. And I thought at that point, this was in the nineties, people are looking at this and saying, what's his name? You don't <laughs> know him anymore. But um, anyway, uh, he, uh, he does resemble Jack power a bit and um, he certainly does an excellent job. I will say that um, uh, uh, Oscar Levant comes out with a line involving Marilyn Monroe that I don't think would have been so easily passed. Um, it, it's a very, very <laughs> ribbled line. And I dare say it would have gotten everybody into much more trouble than it seems to get them in in this play. But um, it does tear down the house. um, So at least for that reason, I also very much liked uh, Peter Gross's Bob Sarnoff, who is the um, head of NBC, who certainly has his opinions about what's going on here, and um, Alex Wise is wonderful as a a, a gopher who's trying to please everybody. I don't believe that he would necessarily. This is hard to explain without being a spoiler. um, He's Oscar Levant asked him to do something, and I do believe that he would do it. But I don't believe that he would, mm, what's the way of putting this? I don't think he would allow him to do what he's doing on his own without supervising it. So um I find that a bit of a problem as well. That said, Emily Bergel mm. as June Levant, Oscar's wife, wonderful performance, one- and I was very glad that, um, we on the drama desk did nominate her the other day, uh, because she really is quite, quite special in, um, in her role as the long suffering, um, and, but loving, loving wife. And by the way, Emilio Sosa has given her the perfect dress for the fifties. Um, perfect indeed. So, um, a very worthwhile experience and, um, <laughs> and <for the laughs> but boy, that piano playing, wow. Uh, he just, uh, he doesn't tickle the ivories he assaults them just as Sean Hayes assaults every line of dialogue that he reaches in Doug Wright's play. Hmm. Uh,
1: did uh, uh did Stokes play the piano in ragtime?
3: Or was that was he faking it? I don't oh. I think he might have but it, it certainly wasn't as demanding as what's going on here.
1: I okay. think it would
2: you just a few measures anyway. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Okay. As I recall. So Michael what did you think about Goodnight Oscar?
2: I had very, very mixed feelings about Sean Hayes' performance because on the one hand, I thought he did an amazing job of seeming nothing like Sean Hayes as we have seen him in anything previous, whether it be Will and Grace or Damn Yankees or Promises Promises Mm -hmm. or whatever. But on the other hand, um, well, and also, uh, I do think he got the body language uh, and the... uh, the ticks uh, of of Oscar Levant down the the squinting, um, the bobbing of the head, the fact that he um, never almost never looks anyone in the eye when speaking mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. But you know what? All of that is very very wearing over ninety minutes, um, which is maybe why uh, Oscar Levant was. Better uh, taken in small doses. uh, When he was on TV, and it's interesting though to watch him in either or um, an American in Paris or the Bandwagon, because he was able to pull himself together, (laughs) I guess, when he wanted to, at least at that point in his life. And he has far less of all of that in those movies. But if you watch the the YouTube uh, brief YouTube clips of him on Jack Parr, uh, as as Peter described it it really is pretty um it's pretty shocking uh and i think that that's a maybe an inherent problem in this play is that to to watch that you know for a full length evening uh to me it was very 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 tiring and off putting uh but then also um <laughs> here's the thing I, I think he got the physicality of oscar levant but to me he sounded for all the world like james stewart and i said that to the friend i was with and he said you know you're right he was oh well oh mary oh oh, mr gower oh you know it was like that voice that we know from you you
3: good jimmy stewart well it's you
2: know and he's easy to do uh and i i i i did compare after seeing the show uh the other night I, i i looked at the youtube clips and i think it's fair to say that um vocally, that Sean sounds very, very little like Oscar Levan and very, very much like James Stewart. Truth so that to was...
3: tell, Michael. Truth to tell. Somebody else that you don't know, um, some one of my readers said exactly the same thing.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I... I, I mean that that really kind of surprised me and I wonder if anyone pointed that out to him and uh I, I, you know I don't, I don't know what went down with that. So um so all of that uh, accounts for my very mixed feelings about uh the play and the performance. I also thought the play was very uh very contrived and schematic. Uh, I mean I understand why uh, there were things that happened in the, the the green room of this TV studio that I uh, didn't seem to me like that that was very realistic. Um, so I think maybe there could have been another scene or two. Um, uh, we're supposed to think that Oscar has been sprung uh, from a, from a, well, a facility, some kind of a, a you know, mental institution literally to appear on the show. Uh, maybe they could have had a scene there. Uh, um, just, just a couple of observations for me. So that's, um, that was my uh, overall feeling about this.
1: All right. Uh, so that is Good Night Oscar scheduled through August 27th, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, Peter and Michael also got over to the Samuel J. Friedman Theater to see Summer 1976. So, uh, Michael, why don't you start us off on this one?
2: This is a lovely play by David Auburn, directed by Daniel Sullivan, uh, what they used to call a two-hander back in the day. (laughs) Um, And the two hands are Laura Linney and Jessica Hecht. Um, One interesting thing about this for me was that uh, I have always been a Laura Linney fan. Jessica Hecht, not so much. Uh, To me, in... Most or all of her past performances, her own personal mannerisms um, have distracted me from the characters she was playing, Uh, I think specifically of Golda in Fiddler on the Roof at the moment, but there were several others. But here, um, I did not have that problem because I thought, whatever. first of all, I thought her mannerisms were quite a bit toned down uh, from what I've seen in the past. Uh, her vocal and physical mannerisms, but also uh, whatever mannerisms remained, I thought they really fit the character very well. Uh, It's about these two women who meet in the summer of 1976. um, And they meet uh, at a playground uh, while their children, their young daughters are playing. And uh, Jessica's character uh, of Alice is described by Laura's character, Diana, Diana, as a um uh, i think she calls her an ex hippie
3: <laughs> mm.
2: uh and so uh it, it seemed that that she was really just right for the part uh as laura was right for her role and i thought they really inhabited the characters very very well it's basically a a very um sweet and moving story about how people can become very very close to each other as friends um or as lovers but in this case as friends uh you know for for some time and then um that can just can just peter out for mm-hmm. whatever reason it, there doesn't have to be a huge blow up or rift or anything sometimes people just grow apart and that's what happens here eventually um uh, at you know towards the very end of, of this play uh, and it reminded me of um that beautiful song from, is there life after high school? Fran and Jamie. Janie, uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I know you agree with me on that. Song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and being about partly because again, we we're dealing with two women, but it could, you know, it can be two men. It could be a man mm-hmm. and a woman, but mm-hmm. in this case, it's, it's two women and they, they really, um, they, at first sight, they don't even like each other. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, at all uh but then they start talking and and they they find that they have common ground and and just that they interest each other and they become very very close friends basically for the length of of just that one summer uh and then things happen and it peter's out and then they have a um a chance encounter in uh new york uh at a at a museum uh many years later and that is the is the move really really very very moving part of this play and that's the part that reminded me most of that song fran and Janie from is their life after high school but um wonderful showcase for these two really excellent actresses and uh another another one score another one for daniel sullivan who rarely makes a false step does he <laughs> uh mm-hmm. in ter- when in choosing what to work on and and uh and then uh I think, I think maybe that's a, a huge part of his um, success is that he seems to have very good taste in what to direct. <laughs> uh, and this play by David Auburn is, is a, a perfect example of that.
1: Okay, Peter, what would you think?
3: Well, first, Michael, I have to say I hate the – expression petered out but anyway uh, (laughs) my apologies (laughs) (laughs) you're not the one who initiated it uh, so you can't be responsible but um anyway uh i felt much the same what an interesting idea people who meet through their children Mm. and become friends as a result of that and yes when you come right down to brass tacks they wouldn't have been friends had they not been Quotation marks introduced uh, by their children, so uh, it's it's a friendship that's really um, built on a very shaky premise, and they find that out as time goes on. Any opportunity to see Laura Linney is wonderful. Um, is is there anyone sweeter? On a stage than Laura Linney, uh, just delectable, and um, <laughs> and, and Jessica has did so right to play the ex hippie. And by the way, uh, while we're talking about um, the fact that it's 1976, uh, let's also mention the fact that um, the costumes and obviously there are just two um, by Linda Cho but uh, the type of granny dress that uh, Jessica Hector is wearing and the bell bottoms that Laura Linney is wearing are very right for uh, 1976. So, uh, so really very, very moving and it reminded me very much of the musical we talked about a few weeks ago, Vanities, where um, at the final scene of that, the people do get back together and have some fondness for each other. Now, of course, there was a real break in Vanities. There were real hard feelings, and that doesn't quite happen here. But that's what makes this play interesting, because I do believe that all of us have had the experience that Sometimes people leave you halfway through the wood. And um, that's what happens here. And um, so it's it's a new take on friendship. And I appreciated the fact that it was something that I'd never seen on stage before, that had never even occurred to me in that way before. And in a strange way, it's going to make us all I'll feel a little better when I have friendships all Michael out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let the punishment fit the crime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that was excellent, Peter. Good way to wrap that one up. So that was uh, Summer, 1976 of the Samuel J. Friedman. It is playing right now through June 10th. Thought that it was extended. Wasn't it extended? Maybe it was extended to the 10th. But uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. You can get to their website and uh, get all the information. I did want to add that uh, Jam Simpson had an interview with David Auburn, the playwright of Summer se- 1976, not 1776, yep. uh, <laughs> uh, which uh, is on the Stagecraft uh, um, feed. And If you're a Patreon member you have already gotten it yesterday, it'll be available to the general public later this week. So check out Jan Simpson's Stagecraft with playwright David Auburn, and he talks a lot about the construction of this play, and Jan's got great questions for him about that. Next up, uh, let's see, Peter, you got over Mm. to Theater Row to see Robin and me, so tell us about
3: this. Well, Robin is Robin Williams. That's who we're talking about here. And um, this is a play, well, a one-person show, to be fair. But um, it is a play about a gentleman who, uh, as a kid, got to be very impressed by Robin Williams. And um, he very much influences life in many ways. And My Little Spark of Madness is the subtitle because, of course, um, Robin Williams used to play eccentric characters. So here's Dave Droxler doing it. And doing it extraordinarily well. You know that one of the reasons he's doing it is because he rather resembles Robin Williams. Um, and I think he resembles Robin Williams more than Sean Hayes resembles Oscar Levant. Um, it is a very manic evening. And I will say that if you are a Robin Williams fan, You will indeed be impressed, and you will indeed be glad you went. If Robin Williams doesn't mean that much to you, it's going to be excruciating, because, Mm -hmm. again, the manic nature of the play, uh, the nanu-nanu, all that stuff going around, making different voices, um, incessantly doing it. Yes, indeed. I shouldn't say incessantly, because, after all, he does so to speak, take time out to um, tell you about his own life and how um, he became a father and um, how it impacted his life, which of course it does, and how um, his relationship with his father was impacted along the way, So, uh, which wasn't an easy one. So um, you you may find those parts um, distracting because you may want to see more of him imitating Robin Williams, you may view them as uh, lifeboats um, in uh, uh, a a terrible sea that's driving you crazy with um, terrific waves. So that's a possibility as well. But I will recommend it to Robin Williams fans. I will not recommend it to anybody else.
1: Okay, so that is uh, Robin and me over at... Theatre Row, which has many theaters in it, as we will soon experience, because Michael was just (laughs) down the hall seeing God of Carnage at Theatre
2: Row. Uh, So tell us about God of Carnage. This is a very good production of this play by Yasmina Reza, uh, which was on Broadway a number of years ago. And this is a production of what is now called Theatre Breaking Through Barriers, uh, started out um uh, in 1979 as theater by the blind but now they have uh expanded their scope a little bit and um i should say at the start that uh, uh it seems like the it, to me uh, um, unless i'm mistaken that the only uh disabled person in the in this four person cast is uh, uh, Carrie Cox in the role of Annette. Uh, the other three are David Burke as Alan, uh, Gabe Fazio as Michael, and Christiane Noel as Veronica. Um, so, and and even um, Carrie Cox uh, to me o- only appeared to be disabled only to the extent that she uh, uses a cane. Uh, but uh, so so just just for whatever that's worth. That that seems to be the situation here. But um, it seems like a a really good company. This is the first time I've experienced their work. Um, They do interesting things. Uh, It's not only the... um, the performers who are sometimes disabled but they make accommodations for audience members as well so for example um you, and you should know this going in uh throughout the play the entire text is projected um on the back wall uh it, it, mm. on on various um they don't look like screens but they turn out to be surfaces on which text is uh Projected and 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 it moves from one screen to another, so it 's not as always in the same place um, and uh, and it was not as distracting as as that might sound because you could choose not to look at the text if you wanted to, and also uh, I guess they could have done it by having screens at the seats or something like that, but that would have required special installation, and also if you have to look down. You know, at a screen in, uh, you know in front of your seat every time to read something, then then your eyes are going to keep going away from the stage. Whereas here, uh, you can kind of take it all in at once. So I thought that was a really um, smart way to do it. And also, um, this this production opens with a voiceover of each of the characters saying a little bit about themselves and what they're wearing. And at first, I thought I don't remember that on Broadway. But then I thought, well, they must have added that uh for the benefit of
1: uh
2: uh-huh. of pe- of you know blind people in mm-hmm. the audience. Mm-hmm. Um so uh so that that I saw really gone but but I uh aside from all that I, I mean I would I I would just go see it as a really excellent production of the god of carnage which is a wonderful very very pointed play uh i thought that when it came out and i and i thought it again seeing it now about um two sets of parents who um are are meeting to try to be very civilized about the <laughs> fact that one of their sons uh, attacked the other in a um a, again a, a playground um so that's two plays about Mm-hmm. <laughs> children in playgrounds mm-hmm. um uh and uh, it starts out well uh starts out very well uh but then it kind of devolves and you know it reminded me of all things uh, when i when i saw it the first time and again here it's kind of like lord of the flies uh yeah. where yeah. people really try they really make an effort mm-hmm. uh to be civilized but um the animal nature Mm-hmm. uh of uh the you know the darker parts of human nature come through and and things don't uh don't turn out very well in the end. So uh I, I don't think the play has lost any of its power and the audience seemed to be responding to it really, really, really well. Uh directed by Nicholas Vicelli, by the way. Um so I would definitely uh put this on your list, especially if well, whether you saw it before or not, um If you haven't seen the the play before, I think you owe it to yourself. And if you did, I think you can be confident that this is a a very excellent production of it.
1: Okay. So, uh, next up, Peter was down the hall from Michael, who was down the hall from Peter. (laughs) And uh, Peter got over to see the uh, latest production from the J2 Spotlight Musical Theatre Company. Of sugar in theater row as well, and uh so Peter, what'd you think of sugar?
3: well full disclosure i'm on the advisory board of this group and also yesterday i gave a, a speech on what other shows were done during the 1971-72 season which suddenly is 50 more than 50 years ago uh, since i saw sugar in toronto and boston if you see me in the theater have me tell you my sad story about seeing it in toronto but that's much too long for what we're doing now anyway uh, this is the musical version of some like it hot and you might say wait a minute and there one right down the street there is, and it's kind of surprising that um, this company got the uh, wherewithal to uh, the permission to to do it. But they did do it, and Robert Schneider, uh, the director, did a phenomenal job. My God, he did it the hard way, because you know that um, uh, sweet souvenir society syncopators um, are, are female musicians. He got three women who really play instruments to be on the stage and do it. I mean, how many times have we seen musicians ape um, playing instruments and while behind the curtain, um, we have to pay no attention to them. But nevertheless, there are those musicians uh, doing the hard work. Nope, nope. He found women who could do it and they do it. All right. Also, um, between Toronto and Boston, Gawa Champion decided if we're going to have somebody who is going to kill people with machine guns, let's have that represented by <laughs> Dancing, and so you had to get three great tap dancers. Well, he went out and got three great tap dancers, so even <laughs> that is extraordinary. So, I mean, really, doing it the hard way um sugar is no masterpiece and never was and never will be and um and i swear i'll use this joke for the last time julie stein and bob merrill score does michael out um as time goes on but when it's good it's very good for for the bulk of the first act it's really terrific and um great great music and uh the cast is doing it very well we have andrew legeri uh, and in the Robert Morse or Jack Lemon role, if you will, um, Daphne, um, who, uh, winds, finds himself falling in love with a man that he didn't expect to, uh, fall in love with. That's, of course, Osgood Feeling, uh, played by, um, Joey Brown in the original movie and, uh, Sarah Richard in the original stage musical. Richard Rowan, phenomenal, hilarious, and this guy has got to do a one man show about Paul Lind, because that's whom he resembles. So uh, great fun, really knows how to deliver a line. Um, we can't forget Chris Chern, who plays, of course, the um, role that was originally done by Tony Curtis and by Tony Roberts in the uh, stage musical, who is very interested in romancing sugar, played by Marilyn Monroe in the original m- movie, and Elaine Joyce in the musical. And she's wonderfully played by Alexandra Amadio frost Terrific. It's not a Monroe imitation, and um, it, it bears a slight resemblance. I'm not saying she was influenced by it at all. I'm not sure she's even seen the Some Like It Hot musical at the Schubert, but um, more spine, more gumption more moxie, and it serves it very well. Uh, Lexi Rhodes, terrific as a uh, uh, sweet Sue, um, and um, really quite wonderful. They're, the cast really is top notch. You really have to give everybody credit. Um, uh, and uh, Oren Karin Bloom uh, doing that tap dancing, extraordinaire. Um, so it, it, a, a, a great fun thing to do would be to see them both on the same day and hmm. uh, see which uh, some like it hot musical you prefer. Um, I, I think sugar wins out on points. Um, it's not a knockout. It's not a TKO. But nevertheless, <laughs> I think it does win on points. And um, we'll see if you agree, if you go to both of them.
1: So uh, Michael is going to be seeing sugar today. Yes. Uh, but we wanted to talk about it this week because it's only uh, this week left coming up to see it. So if you are in the New York city area and you can get to see sugar we wanted to bring you this review as soon as possible uh the j2 spotlight musical theater company uh operates under an equity showcase code and each show can only run for eight performances so we wanted to bring you this as soon as possible so you can get in to see it over at Theater Row, and, you know, it's a very high probability that if you get over to Theater Row, you'll see Peter and or Michael.
3: (laughs) 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 Especially if you
2: were there last week.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, uh, I will say that on Saturday, May 13th, uh, the Goodbye Girl will um, mm. have a performance in the afternoon, and I will be speaking afterwards on um, the season in which The Goodbye Girl took place. So uh, you might want to uh, come then. We can all shake hands and um, maybe go out for a bite afterwards. A good time maybe, had by all. So David Zippel, the original lyricist of The Goodbye Girl, is directing this one. So uh, he certainly knows the property. And wow, wow, I mean, really, uh, to get Santino Fontana and Sierra Borges to be in your show. I'm impressed.
1: All right, so that wraps it up for this week. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of this week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to Broadway Radio. Uh, you can support Broadway Radio and listen to us early by subscribing to us in Patreon at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio which will support all of the Broadway Radio podcasts, and you will be able to get them earlier than everybody else. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to. Find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. We've got the uh, New York, New York, uh, John Kander interview on YouTube in there as well plus some production photos from everything else. So get over to the show notes and check that out as well. So Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
3: The three separate musicals set in three different countries, he provided English lyrics the characters sang with pronounced Italian accents. Who's the lyricist? Who are the characters? What are the countries? In what musicals do they disappear? We're talking about Stephen Sondheim, who had Giovanna, a resident of Italy, in "Do I Hear a Waltz?" Say she no understand this crazy language. We have Pirelli and Sweeney Todd sings in broken English during the contest that takes place in England, and Giuseppe Zangara singing that he no care just before he's about to be executed in the United States. For the second week in a row, Tony Janicki was first to get it, followed by Sean Logan, Mike Meaney, Juliet Green, Arthur Robinson, Jack Leshner, Deb Popple, Brigadude, and almost Paul Witty, who got two out of three, only missing assassins. By the way, he didn't um, send an email. He told me this yesterday when he was at Sugar as well. So uh, that's how I know um, he got two out of three. All right, this week's question. And speaking of Sweeney Todd... <laughs> There was a musical in the early to mid-30s whose title would be an apt description of Sweeney Todd. This 1930s musical, which was set in Spain, wasn't a flop, for it ran more than 100 performances at a time when such a run for a musical was respectable. But it wasn't a smash hit either, for it didn't reach 200 performances. What's the title of this 30s show that could very well describe Sweeney Todd?
1: All right. If you have an idea, please uh, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you
2: know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, in 1991, Barbra Streisand released an epic uh, four-CD album called Just for the Record, which was a Amazing survey of her career to that point uh, and included not only many favorites, but also quite a few um, obscurities, uh, many tracks that had not been released before. And one of them, uh, which I think is one of the highlights, is a melding of A Quiet Thing from Flora the Red Menace into There Won't Be Trumpets from Anyone Can Whistle. Um, so seeing as how uh, as we discussed a quiet thing is now included in uh New York New York I, I i thought i would go back to and listen to that track and it's just as fantastic as i thought it was i i i, I suspect the only reason it wasn't released is there's a, a place towards the end of it which you may hear where the orchestra comes very slightly unglued uh, and mm. I guess they didn't redo it because maybe they weren't happy with it for other reasons or they didn't have time. Uh, but I think these two songs, the first one by Kander and Ebb and the second one by Stephen Sondheim, work beautifully together in terms of the, what the lyrics are saying. And and the music also, um, musically, they, 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 they meld t- together very well as well. Uh, so that is uh, the first part of, that track is our opener and the uh the bulk of it is our closer
1: uh we started off by talking about how little tv any of us <laughs> watch. Right. Uh, but did you guys see the uh David Pogue interview uh on uh on CBS with uh with John Kander?
2: No. <laughs> no. And also uh by the way, I, I hear that the uh, Carol Burnett special which i missed because i was at one of those shows um that we talked about is being rerun tonight uh i i was told that i didn't check it out but uh uh if if you missed it like i did uh and you didn't record it or whatever uh, you might want to check that out because i'm planning to watch it tonight
1: oh let's see yeah Wednesday, That's got very good review. Uh, very good. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, aside from getting, getting good reviews, got a lot of watchers.
2: Got really good. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this rebroadcast was scheduled from the beginning or if they put it in because of the numbers. Uh, but isn't that wonderful that she still has that many people who love her? You bet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, the uh, uh, the David Pogue um, interview. Uh, uh, it started off with David Pogue disclosing that he was the piano player for Flora the Red Menace. Mm. Oh wow! I didn't, I didn't know that.
2: Mm. <laughs> also, did um, you all see the photo of John Kander with Cheetah at the opening of New York, New York? I did. I did. Yeah. And I was. I. I. I can't help. Oh. I. I. I mean, I almost hate to think about it. I, I wonder if Liza will have the. Um. Ability and the wherewithal to to make the trip because can you imagine that would be kind of incredible?
1: Oh, I have to see if I can find that photo to include it in the show notes. So,
2: yeah.
1: all right. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.